Well, thank you for the opportunity to share with you. I don't remember exactly how long it's been since I was here. I think three years ago, maybe a little bit longer. I, I can't remember exactly. Um, but we want to give you an update. Before I do that, um, in case we, you haven't met, this is my wife, Lisa. My name is Rick. And for the last 10 years, we have been missionaries in Thailand. We're in the States right now getting ready to transition to Spain. And I'll explain a little bit why, why we're doing that and what's happening. We also have a, a, our daughter. She's been with us most of the summer, last couple months visiting churches with us. But she's heading back to Duke University in North Carolina. She's working on her master's degree. She has one more year to finish her master's degree there. And then she wants to come back to the Northwest with a long-term goal of being a professor and what she calls a scholar for Christ in a secular university somewhere just to represent who Christ is in those communities. Our son, Ricky, is uh, just graduated from Moody Bible Institute in Spokane, Washington. We really thank the Lord. He called me yesterday. He has a job. Uh, we've been, you know, he graduated and then he took a month off to go visit friends in Chicago. And I said, you really need to get a job. And uh, he's been looking and applying, and thank God he, he, he got one, and really praise the Lord for that. He's going to spend another year or so in Spokane and then look for uh, ministry in some international ministry or international church overseas. That's his, uh, his long-term goal. Uh, we wish they both could have been with us, um, but they couldn't, and maybe, maybe next time. I... In case you don't know, or some of you, I know, I know that you're there new, um, eight years ago, my wife had a very serious car accident. That's why she uses the walker. And we really, that was in Thailand. It happened in Thailand, and she was in a coma for 40 days. Uh, excuse me, 40 days in ICU and in a coma for three months. And the whole time, the doctors are saying, she's, she's either not going to live or she's not going to wake up. We praise the Lord that she did. We've been here, many of you know that story, you prayed for us through that time, you helped us financially during that time. We really praise the Lord, she pretty much most of the time can use the walker now, and um, she's getting better and better, but it's still slow progress. We, we do physical therapy quite often, um, but getting better and better, we thank the Lord for that, and definitely better since we were here last time. <clears throat> I have a picture up there, a very special picture for me. I know that a couple of times over the years that we've been here, I've shared the story about how I grew up. I did not grow up in a Christian home. My dad, who's pictured there in the middle, um, I'm Rick Jr. My dad is uh, Ricky Sr. And my son is Ricky III. So there's a bunch of us. And I've got um, two, two brothers and then a, a half-brother. Uh, who's, in, uh, who's in Texas right now. But as I grew growing up, my dad was a, a drug dealer. He was a, he was a really bad guy. He and my mom divorced many, many years ago. And I remember growing up um, just in that kind of lifestyle. Myself, I spent two times before I was 16 in juvenile detention. And uh, friends, when I'm in Port Angeles is where I grew up, they remind me of that every once in a while. Weren't you the guy that was... In jail a couple times when you were young, and yeah, yeah, and your dad was a drug dealer, yeah. Uh, a, a year ago or so, we checked into a hotel there, and uh, she said, oh, Kaner, I know that name. And I said, oh, how do you know that name? And she said, I used to work for the sheriff's department. 
She was, it was a true story. One time, right after Lisa and I got married, we went back to Port Angeles to visit, and I had a taillight or something out of my car, and they pulled me over, and five cars came because of my name. And my wife, you know, they're calling me, get out of the car, put your hands on the, you know, and my wife was like, who are you? <laughs> um, but my family, my family had a rough reputation. We had a rough, you know, it's not a big town, less than 20,000 people. And uh, we all grew up there. And my dad was in trouble uh, with the law uh, quite often and in jail and sometimes serious jail time for drugs and guns. A couple of years ago, my dad, um, he had been married to another woman for, for 17 years, and he, 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 they split up, and they got divorced, and he was having a tough time, and that was around Christmas time, and my son and daughter went over there to visit them. And I really don't, I've never had really any relationship with my father. He, um, birthdays, Christmas, I never hear anything for, for them. It's hard to forget my birthday because it's January 1. <laughs> Christmas, birthdays, anything. We would send things to him and different things and no response. And if I would go to show up at his place, immediately, if he knew I was coming, he would leave. Or if I showed up, he had somewhere to go. Within minutes, he would leave. So I never had, I mean, some of you that I've talked to this morning, I've had more serious conversation than I ever had with my father uh, since I was 16 years old. So my son and daughter went and visited him, and he was pretty distraught about uh, being, uh, getting divorced with this woman, and I guess he was in tears with them, and they began to just share the gospel with him, and then they left. A couple Sundays later, we were in Thailand, and I began to get 40 or 50 different messages. Your dad was in church on Sunday. Uh, there's a church in Port Angeles that I grew up in. I was saved there. They discipled me, and they also support us as missionaries. And we know the people very well. And, and Sunday after Sunday, I just get all these messages. Your dad's coming to the Bible study. Your dad's... And I'm just thinking, what in the world? What is going on here? And so after some time, um, last year, we were back for a short visit. I went to visit him. And uh, he knew I was coming into town. And he called me and said, I want to see you. Never heard that from him. And so he... Um, said, let's go meet at this restaurant. So I wa walked into the restaurant. When he walked up to me, folks, I could see life in his eyes. I knew that he had accepted Jesus Christ. We sat down, we ate, and I, so I said to him after a while, I said, Dad, I heard that you're going to the church. And he said, yeah. And I said, why are you going to the church? And he said, well, I've given my life to Jesus Christ, and I want to go to a place where I can hear what God has to say. I don't want to know what man has to say. I don't, want to know. I don't want my own thoughts controlling my life. I want to follow Jesus Christ. My heart was just pounding inside of me. Immediately, we were connected, like never before. And since then, we, I was just, we were just there a few days ago. We spent a week there, and we just, because of Christ, we had this connection, and we sit talk and tells, tells me what he's learning and, and the leaders of the church and he's wanting to submit himself to the leaders of the church and I want to tell you another story just to show you his level of commitment I'm not saying giving any judgment on whether it's right or wrong I'm just telling you to show you how he's responding to the leadership of his church he for many years growing up 
he grew marijuana. In fact, I remember when I was a little boy, we lived out in the country, and we used to take this trail out to this little marijuana field. And we had a field back there, and I would help my dad plant them and grow them and all kinds of different things. So a number of years ago, before he became a Christian, when Washington changed their law, he went immediately got licensed and began to grow marijuana, and he began to sell it to a pharmaceutical company. After he was saved, he wanted to know, is this right or wrong? So he went, he went to the leaders of his church, to the, the two pastors and the deacons, and he sat down with them, and they said, bring all your paperwork, the company you're selling it to, and what you were doing, and uh, we just want to see what you're doing, and we want to pray with you about it, and we want to talk about it. So they looked at everything. The conclusion that the elders, or the pastors of the church had, were that he was selling to a pharmaceutical company. They didn't want him selling to a recreational one, and they felt like, it was legitimate. And so they, my dad said, you know what they told me to do? Grow as much as you can and give 10% of the profit to the church. And that's what my dad does. Now, I'm not saying whether that's right or wrong, because I definitely don't want to tell my dad, go against the leaders of your church. Just like I wouldn't tell you that. But just to show you that he's willing to submit himself. himself. And he has men who come to his house and hold him accountable uh, for the problems he had with drugs in the past, honestly. And they come over, and the leaders of the church said, your dad is growing in the Lord, growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, and loving God. They've made him a greeter at the church. I mean, look at that guy. <laughs> He's got tattoos all over the place. He drives an old panel truck and a Harley Davidson. But my dad is now, after, um, he, after so many years, I prayed for him for 40, for 35 years, I prayed for him to come to Christ. And not that I would say, I, I never came to the conclusion that it, would, it was impossible, but I thought maybe it's not going to happen. And praise the Lord, and he's talking to my brothers. Both of my brothers are in and out of jail because of drugs on a regular basis. Um, my whole family has just been so torn up by, by drugs and alcohol and things like that. But more of us are coming to Christ, and we're praying for my brothers. That's one of my brothers, my little Littlest brother, Ennis, there, um, just got out of jail. And my other brother, same situation, just got out of jail. I talked to my dad uh, a while back. We were there, and we were sitting at the window of our car. And I said, you know, Dad, I'm really proud of you, what you're doing. You want to serve the Lord. And he looked at me, and he began to cry. And he said, I never thought I would hear one of my sons say that. Never thought I would hear that. And he just said, it's all God. God's changing my life. So I just wanted to share that with you. I don't know. I, I'm sure that you have loved ones who don't know Christ. I'm sure that you have friends and family that you care about deeply. I just want to encourage you, continue to pray for them. Um, we praise the Lord for my dad and uh, his service at the church and how he's serving the Lord. And uh, I just see him in church. I preached there last Sunday, and um, I'm just so amazed um, at what God's doing in his life. And to listen to him talk about the Word of God and what he's studying is really amazing. And he has a deep desire to reach his other friends. Most of them are bikers and drug addicts. And so he's doing that. And some of them have come to Christ already. We really praise the Lord for that. This is a picture um, of our church in, um, in Bangkok. We actually have, uh, this is our international church, when we, or the whole international church gets together. And we have... Um, 
about 220, 230 people from 25 different countries that come to this church. We also have a, a Thai church that uses the facility. We have a Burmese church, and we also have a Pakistani church that uses the facility. Primarily, the last couple of years, I've been working, um, we've been helping in the Thai church and uh, the Pakistani church working with Pakistani refugees. The last year and a half or so, last few years, I've spent more time with the international church because we've been without a pastor. You understand what that's like, and praise the Lord, we... Uh, right before I left, we got a full-time pastor that was installed, and it was a guy that I had the opportunity to disciple for a couple of years, and we really praise the Lord for that. Just to be clear, Lisa and I are leaving Thailand after 10 years. We came back in April. We're spending some time in the States to transition to Spain to do many of the same sort of things, working with partners in the region, especially in Muslim countries in northern Africa. And I'll give you a little description to see. Uh, we're going to be in the southern part of Spain, but working in Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia, Libya, Egypt, and we also have some partners in Eastern Europe that we're going to be able to visit. The reason that we've chose southern Spain, there are a lot of great benefits to that, including physical therapy and the weather and things that are especially helpful for Lisa, but the, the cities that we're looking at being in the south, we can actually take ferries, we can fly there too, but we can take ferries to um, many of the countries that we're going to, especially Morocco and Algeria, where we, we're going to be developing a lot of partners there. You can see how close the southern part of Spain, it's just eight miles across to Africa. Like you can see, you can see the, uh, um, the coastline there. And so that's why we've chosen southern Spain to just be um, in that region, a region that our administrator would like us. And we think it's going to be great. Obviously, very different from Thailand, and uh, we have to learn a new language, um, and uh, we'll just have to do that, but we're excited about the opportunity that we have there. Okay, I want to share from the Word of God this morning, from Matthew 14. This is a passage that undoubtedly you've heard many times. You've probably heard many messages on it, and maybe some of the things that I'm going to say are going to be a repeat. I hope not. I hope some new things um, are going to come out of it. But I want to share it with you because something happens here, really an impossible situation. And many times in ministry, I, Lisa and I have felt like we've come to impossible situations, including her accident. I remember when the doctor said, she's, she's going to die. He said, prepare your kids for their mother to die. She's not going to make it. And the, the kind of the blow to that was me, to my emotions and my intellect and, and everything was very, very difficult. There's a situation here where there's a, a, a huge crowd of people uh, and there's a need for food and Jesus does something amazing. Matthew 14, we'll read the whole thing. Um, if you have your copy of God's word, let's take it and we'll read together. Matthew 14, verses 13 through 21. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. 
you give them something to eat. They said to him, we only have five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Notice there the last statement there. Um, There were 5,000 men, not including the women and children. I think we could estimate maybe around 15,000 people. I don't know if you've ever seen a crowd like that. But all these people are following Jesus, and he's healing some of the sick. And it says early on in in the passage, um, verse 14, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. I mean, this is a huge crowd. And probably being pressed in and seeing some of the amazing, some people were being healed, and he was teaching, and something amazing. And so this crowd was just following around. And inside of him, deep inside of him, he had this great compassion. That word compassion really comes from deep inside of a person. And it's much deeper than just having pity on them or having um, a concern for them. Really a deep compassion. He really cared for these people. I don't know if you have ever been pressed in by a crowd before. I had an experience once um, in India. Uh, after the tsunami, we were working along the coastline, some of the areas that were affected in India, and we brought a, a truckload of food, big truck full of food for a crowd uh, and came in, and uh, we had given out all the food that we had. We didn't have anything else, and there's still a couple hundred people waiting. And they began to press into us and kind of had us cornered. Where the police had to come and literally... Um, push people and to get us out of there and to get us to safety. But I remember that feeling, there's this crowd around me of people with great needs, and I didn't have one more bag of rice. I wish I did. And it was overwhelming. And maybe Jesus, or at least the disciples, are feeling that way because there's so many people. Let's talk about this a little bit. Verse 15, the disciples give a bunch of excuses, and many times, I, I hate to admit it, that I've given some of these excuses. The first one, number one, they said it's the wrong place. Look at verse 15. Now when the evening, it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. There's nothing here. It's just, a, it's just by the river, it's just desert, nothing's going on here. And uh, there were no resources, there were no 7-Elevens, nothing was there. Um, nothing, nothing to go after, and so it's just a desolate place. I don't know if you've ever said that about a place. I know that one time I said that after Lisa's accident. Lisa and I spent a number of months working with a specialist in Berkeley, California. And that had to be the most difficult place that I've ever been to share the gospel. I've never been in a place that's easier in Thailand. I found it easier in Pakistan and other places. But in Berkeley, trying to talk to people about the gospel, and they just looked at me like I was an idiot. I didn't know what I was talking about, how foolish was I, and people just shut the door immediately. Disciples are just saying, this is a, this is a desolate place. Secondly, 
say it's the wrong time. This is the desolate place, and the day is now over. Keep in mind, they're saying all these things, getting ready to tell Jesus we can't help them. It's a desolate place. It's too late. Lisa and I worked for a lot of years in, uh, in youth ministry, and it seemed like the kids always had problems at 2 a.m., and they wanted to talk. They wanted to get together. They wanted to knock on the door. I remember one time, we were, gonna, we're just going to take a Saturday off. We're going to close all the curtains in our house and everything, and, and a bunch of kids came over, peeking in, knocking on the door. We know you're in there. <laughs> Open the door. Okay, let's do something. But one of the things that we found is when we've had ministries for opportunity, individuals or groups, it's almost, it's almost never convenient for us, is it? It's like, that's the wrong time. I'm doing something else. The Seahawks are on. I mean, whatever it is, it's like never, um, never. By the way, this is not part of the message, but in Thailand, we only get the Denver Bronco games. <laughs> because the guy that works at the station there, a Thai man, worked in Denver and became a Denver player. So they, we only get the Denver games. It's terrible. Okay, back to the spiritual, just for a moment. But it's never, usually when someone needs help, it's almost never the right time. We've got something else going on, and it's difficult to help. It takes something from us to help a person. The disciples are saying that, listen, it, the day is over. It's, it's, it's too late. Third, there is nothing we can do, just send them away. This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away. It's too many of them, Lord. And they had been traveling with Jesus. They were probably hungry also. And there's 15,000 people there following him. It's a desolate place. It's late at night. And they said, just send them away. Send them away. Third, let them be responsible for themselves. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. I want to point out something here. These are not necessarily poverty-stricken people. These are not people who, these, evidently, they did have the opportunity to go and they could have gone in and bought food for themselves. And so it, it, it relates to the poor, what I'm talking about today, but it also relates to anybody who has a need in any kind of way. It's really, really important that they have something to eat even though they could go buy it. For themselves and the disciples say, listen, these people have resources, they can go take care of themselves. Fifth one, it's actually found in, in uh, dis described in the other gospels, one of the other gospels, the, the, the amount of money that it would have taken was impossible. They just, it, it was such a huge amount that even none of us today would have those resources if a crowd came around here to help those people. It was an incredible amount of money and they just didn't have the food. There's a picture there. I want to give you an illustration of this. Uh, this is Uzma. And Uzma and her family came to our church. She's from Pakistan. And actually, most of the refugees we work with were Christians running away from severe persecution, many in fear of their lives. Uzma, on the other hand, her family was... Um, from actually a Muslim sect, not of the majority sect in Pakistan. And so actually they were also looked down on and people didn't, didn't like them. Anyway, they ended up coming to Bangkok. 
And she came in one day, and we have a, um, an international Bible study there at our church, and I think about how many women? 60? About 60 women come from 20 different countries to this Bible study. And they meet, and then they meet, and they break off into small, small groups. And it's a great, uh, great ministry and outreach to the international community there. Uzma came in one day with her daughter. Her daughter's name is Mahek, and she came in and said, I'm, I'm Muslim. Is it okay if I come here and learn about Jesus Christ? I want to learn about Jesus. And our hearts began to just pound with excitement because we understand really when anybody wants to learn about Jesus, God is working. But when a Muslim comes and says, tell me about Jesus Christ, I want to learn who, who this person is. I've heard that he's a prophet, but I really want to know the true Jesus. Um, something special is going on, and God is working in, in really a special way. And so she came, and she began going to Lisa's um, Bible study group because Lisa had a few American women and a few Pakistani women in Lisa's group, so they had people who could help translate. Although her English was pretty good, we wanted to make sure she really understood in her own language so somebody translated for her. Eventually, um, after about six months of learning and seeing who Jesus was and showing her from the Word of God, she came and said, I'm ready to follow Jesus Christ. And she gave her life to Jesus Christ. And she's been following Jesus Christ. And immediately her daughter, who did, who's been, was coming also, I think her daughter was 13 years old, came and her daughter, she had two other sons and her husband. So she gave a testimony in our church and said, I no longer bow to Allah, I bow to Jesus Christ. So we oftentimes would visit them in their home at least once a week, sometimes twice a week, and they would come to our home. And she would, um, as we would sit on the floor in her little room, her husband would be there, and when she would tell me, Pastor, my husband is still bowing to Allah five days a week. Please tell him more about Jesus. Because he wasn't going to the Bible study. He didn't get all that knowledge and all that understanding. So we began to share with him, and uh, he told me. He said, if, if, if I follow Jesus Christ, and I end up going to, back to Pakistan, my family will kill me. You don't understand what kind of a commitment that is. And Uzma's just sitting there smiling, thinking, I'm, I'm, I understand it, and I did it, and I think you need to also. So for many, many months, about almost close to a year, he wasn't willing, and he's just, and so I asked him to count the cost. I said, it, it could mean that for you and your culture. If you don't get placed by the United Nations in another country, you don't go to America or Canada, and you go, have to go back to Pakistan, it could mean that, but you have to decide for yourself, and you have to count the cost. Um, we praise the Lord. A couple weeks before we left in April, he came to me, and he said, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. And his boys are sitting there, and the boys were kind of waiting. And so the boys have been coming to Sunday school, and all these, they have a lot of knowledge. They said, we want to follow Jesus, but we're afraid to do it without our dad. So dad stands up, and the boys are just smiling and say, we've already done it, dad. So he had this whole family. Now, before all of that happened, when they were still bowing to Allah, they were still um, following Islam, I brought Uzma and her family to my house, and I invited a bunch of people from the church, from the Pakistani church that we have. Keep in mind, all of them were severely persecuted, beaten by Muslims. This is before they became Christians. 
So I brought them in and I said, we have a family here. I want them to start coming to our activities, part of our fellowship, part of all the things that we're doing. I want them to be part of all these, all the ministries. And, and they, the, after they left, the Pakistanis surrounded me and said, we don't want them here. Do you understand how we have been treated by Muslims and what um, our lives were like? And some of us were beaten by Muslims and we don't want them hearing about us and knowing about us. Maybe they'll tell families, maybe they'll tell somebody. And my heart sank. I thought of this passage. I thought about all the, all the excuses the disciples were giving. And they're telling me, well, we're afraid of this. What if they tell someone in Pakistan where we are? What if they are here as a spy and they're trying to find out what Pakistanis are doing here? And what if they, you know, what if they say something bad about us? What if they make us look bad? And my heart just sank. I didn't know what to do. I asked God, God, help me. So I looked at the leaders of the church, uh, the, the deacons that we had set up there and the man that I was discipling. I looked at him and I said, you feel very strongly about that. And I said, yeah, we're afraid. There's so many things that could happen and we're here in Thailand illegally. What if they say something? What if, you know, something happens? And I, I just bowed my head and I said, you know, if you can't love them, like Christ, then next week we're shutting the church down. We're not going to have church. Because if you're gonna, we're going to call ourselves a church, you need to love like Jesus. And I believe that they're here to learn about Jesus. You never saw a more shocked group. And I was serious. We cannot call ourselves a church if you will not love somebody that, will, that needs to be loved and show Christ. And you're going to say, you can't come to our church. And so um, after about 10 minutes, they were speaking in Urdu, they, and I thought, oh, boy, I'm in trouble. I can't understand them, and they're not, they stopped in English, and so they came and said, we'll love them. That's what God would want us to do. And we're afraid, we're nervous, but we'll show. And I'm telling you, that is one of the main reasons this family came to Christ. They said to me, when I realized that these Christians had loved us, people that we hated, and I realized how much love they had for each other and how much they began to love us. They said it was like a miracle in our lives. That they would show this kind of love for us. We forgot about all the excuses. We can make all kinds of excuses. Um, and I've made all the excuses that I listed above. And I praise God that um, our Pakistani brothers and sisters in Bangkok really love them. Think about a Muslim coming to a Buddhist country and learning about Jesus and becoming a follower of Jesus. Really amazing. This is just one of many stories that I could tell you about people coming to Christ. They're a part of our church now. Um, they're involved in our ministries. The kids are in Sunday school. They're, they're learning about the gospel and, and learning more and more about Jesus. And they're starting to tell their friends about Jesus. It really is amazing. Okay. Um, God has a strategy, and it's shown in this passage. Um, you remember um, when the disciples gave all their excuses, Jesus looks at them in verse 16. He'd just given all the excuses, but Jesus said, you need not go away. You give them something to eat. The miracle had not been done. They didn't know there was food. They didn't know what Jesus was going to do. And they're standing there with 15,000 people. 
really impossible ministry. And Jesus says, you give it to them. Imagine what they are thinking. They think he's crazy. What, what could he be thinking? This is impossible. And he's looking at us, and they're hearing, you give them something to eat. The strategy that God has for us, and it's found in the Great Commission, it's found here, and it's found in many other places. The strategy, the strategy is that we tell people about Jesus Christ. There's no cosmic billboard in the sky that says, here's the good news about Jesus Christ. He died on the cross. You need to believe in him. All these things. If I see him on the side of the road, I think it's great. But God doesn't have one in the sky. His plan is for you to tell people about Jesus Christ. In your sinfulness, in the things that you do wrong and the things that you do right, and all and all of our the stuff that's going on in our lives, we tell we open our mouths, we share a message that is a life-giving message, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ, and people's lives are changed. His plan is you. I was just hearing, um, I don't know his name, but he was up here talking about child evangelism fellowship and the, and the Good News Club. I, I'm just thinking how amazing that is to have that opportunity to be involved in something like that in this community and in that school. I know what they do in other places. It, it's you give them something to eat. I think Jesus is telling you, you go to CEF and you give them something to eat, not necessarily food, whatever they need. Just love them. And the plan right here is that he's telling the disciples, you're the ones. They thought he was crazy. See, many times the resources for reaching the community are in the harvest of people that are coming to Christ. Let me give you an example of that, of this uh, this young woman. This um, girl's name, she's really 20 years old. Um, her name is Sumbal. And a couple of years, I went to Pakistan to visit a Pakistani man that I discipled in Bangkok for a couple of years. And he started a church, and people are coming to Christ. They're learning about Jesus. And so um, each night when I was preaching... And the way they do at the services, they don't have chairs. They have a small room. They sit on the floor, the women on one side and the men on the other side. So we're sitting there. And as I'm preaching each night, in the back came a group of women, and they sat off to the side. They dressed differently than everyone else. They had much more makeup. And they just looked different. Their eyes looked different. Everything looked kind of just their aura and everything about them looked different. And they just sat off in the back there, a group of them. Uh, five or six of them. And so I noticed on the second night, I asked uh, Pastor Emmanuel, I said, um, who are those women? I noticed they came in, they don't really talk to anybody, and nobody really talks to them. And he said, that's a group of prostitutes that are coming, and they're all from the same family. And Sumbal was one of them. And he, he told me Sumbal was 17 years old. And uh, so the... The mother is there who is a prostitute, her sister, some cousins, and, and I don't know who else. And so um, she was coming every night. 
what I was preaching on that week was the fact that Jesus spent time with the sinners. He loved the sinners. And he, um, over and over again, had compassion on the sinners, and he would eat with them, and he would sit with them and talk to them, even though the religious leaders thought he was crazy. They, they hated him because of that. And so I, that's what I talked about each week, each, each evening. So at the end, the last day, I was sitting in Pastor Emmanuel's house, and there's a knock on the door, and Sumbal walks in. She walks in, and she sits down. She, she doesn't speak English, but she's uh, Emmanuel translated. She said, I'd like, to, I'd like to ask you something. Is it true, and there's about 10 people in the room with me at the time, is it true that Jesus loves me? And she said, before you answer that, I want you to know I'm a prostitute. And I said, I know that. And I looked at her, and I said, if Jesus came in this room right now, he would have a great love for all of us, but I think he would go to you first. I think that's the example Jesus showed. He would go and sit with you first. And she said, well, if the things you're saying, I believe the things you're saying, I want to follow Jesus Christ. And my heart, again, was just pounding with excitement. And she said, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to give my life to Jesus Christ. So we began to talk. We shared some things with her. We prayed with her. I had a great conversation and her, her desire and passion to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And I said, um, you know, you can no longer bow to Allah anymore. She said, I'll never bow to him. That's not the true God. Jesus is the true and living God. So then, we, then she looked at me and she asked me a question. And she said, um, Pastor, what do I do tomorrow? I didn't know what she meant. So I asked her. You know, um, Sumbal, I don't understand what you're saying. What do you mean by that question? And she said, I'm a prostitute. Today's my day off. My dad is going to expect me to go to work tomorrow and sleep with men. And my heart just sank. So I looked at her and I said, I don't, I don't care what the consequences are. You can never do that again. You're a follower of Jesus. Something happened to you today. You're a different person. That's your old life. You could never go back to it. She's asking, well, what do I do? And so I asked her, well, I asked Pastor Emmanuel. He said, well, her father expects her to make $50 a month. That's what she makes as a prostitute. Not a lot of money. It's a very poor country. And he'll expect her to make $50 a month. If she doesn't do that, she's got to go to the brick factory. She's got to do something else. Uh, it seems impossible. So... I know my wife pretty well, and I knew that if I didn't offer $50 a month, I would be in big, big trouble. Uh, my wife will go in somewhere, and if someone has need, she just gives everything. She'll get my wallet, and she'll give everything. <laughs> if I'm not there, she just, she has no idea, you know, if we have money or we don't, but if it's in their pocket, it goes. So I told her, I said, Sumbal, my wife and I will send you $50 a month. Emmanuel, Pastor Emmanuel said, her dad will be happy with that. She won't have to do it anymore. All he cares about is the money. By the way, you can't, I can't tell you what I wanted to do to that father. I just could not imagine. So um, I said, we, we, uh, that's what we'll do. And so um, she, just, she just beamed. And she said, you mean I never have to do that again? I said, you could never do that again. No matter what. You, that's your old life. You have a new life in Jesus Christ, and it's brand new, and God's going to show you everything's going to change in your life. 
um, the excitement on her. So I asked her, what do you want to do? And she said, well, I, I don't know if this would make God happy. She said, but I would like to work in a beauty salon. Could I work in a beauty salon? And, and even, even at this moment, God is working in her life. She said, do you think I could work in a beauty salon and other girls like me could come and I could tell them about Jesus? I was just, as a missionary that works with partners and works with people overseas, I, I just got so excited. I was so thrilled at this. And so we found someone to sponsor her to go to school. In the last year and a half, two years, she's been going to beauty school. In fact, it's only $600 for her to go. Then we sent her to another beauty school. Um, over the past couple of months, we've raised $9,000 to open the New Life Salon. And the New Life Salon, she's being trained. She's, we found another Christian lady who's training her in the business. She's going to run it. She's going to serve the Lord to tell other girls like her about Jesus Christ. We get we're getting scholarships for her. You know, folks, this church could support her as a missionary. You could support her as an individual, as a missionary, through our, through our partnership, through the ministry that we do. The New Life Salon, Lord willing, will open in the next two months. They're gutting it. They're putting in chairs. Whatever salon stuff is, I don't really know. They're getting it all together. They're getting the makeup, whatever it is, and they're putting it all together. And in the next couple months, it's going to open, it's going to launch, and other girls, we're going to look for other girls in the same situation, many of them from her own family. Isn't that amazing? Jesus in you is the message here. And he tells the disciples, you give them something to eat. CEF, the other ministries that we have, I just want to encourage you, you give them something to eat. Um, you're the one that's called to do it. We thank God for Sunball. Next year, my hope is to go to Pakistan, although it will be running for a while, and officially dedicate the New Life Salon. Maybe you'd like to go with our team that's going. We would love to have you go, and that'll be our main purpose there is to dedicate that salon. In Pakistan, folks, God is really working. So they've got this problem. They've said it to Jesus. You give them something. Jesus has said to them, you give them something to eat. They said to him, Jesus, um, we have only five loaves here and two fish. Not much for 15,000 people. Jesus said, bring them here to me. Many times when we're faced with problems in our lives or difficulties, we start to think about our resources. Our car on the way up from California, I'm coming up here, uh, just making all kinds of strange noises. I'm not really sure. And I'm just, I'm just starting to panic. Like, Lord, what if something... Telling Lisa, you know, what if something goes wrong with the car and we don't have the money to fix it? What do we do? And many times we go to thinking about our resources instead of thinking about how great God is. And the disciples are thinking, how do we do this? 
I remember I was thinking that when Lisa had the coma, the first thing I would do, finding out from the doctors, what medicine, what, what can we do, what, what are the options for treatment, all these things. And in most, of, most of the time in our problems, we just go to our resources. The disciples are thinking, how do we fix this? Their solution was, send them away. And many times our first reaction is how, 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 when in reality the issue is not how, the issue is who. The issue is Jesus. How in the world was Sumbal going to start a salon with nothing? And God, in her mind, has performed the greatest miracle. She couldn't have made $9,000 or $9, in 10 years. $50 a month is all she made. It would have been impossible. And God does something here amazing. And he says, bring them to me. And my encouragement to you, whatever your issue is or whatever your sin is, whatever the difficulty you're facing in your life, whether it be health or family, give it to Jesus. It's not always on our timeline. I can attest to that. I waited many months for Lisa to wake up. It's not always fits into our what we think should happen, but he's the one to do it. Maybe it is to bring about resources uh, that you need that, that seem impossible. And over and over again, Lisa and I have seen resources met. Uh, we didn't know how we were going to get $9,000 for uh, Sumbal. We just didn't think it was possible. We visited two churches. It's done. We have it. And we praise the Lord for that. Think about who, not how, first. Go to Jesus first. Then he goes on. Then he ordered the crowds. This is verse 19. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down in the grass and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven. Again, he's going to the Father. And when we go to the Father, he answers. He will answer. I waited 30 years for my dad to come to Jesus, but eventually he answered. And it may not be in the way that you think, in the time that you think, but he does hear us. Ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowd. Do you remember earlier all their excuses and then he looks at them and says, you give them something to eat. Now, it tells us the disciples are taking it from Jesus, this miracle, all this fish and all this bread, take the miracle, they put it into their hands, and then they walk through the crowds and they give it to people out of the baskets. Folks, that's the same thing that's for us who are followers of Jesus Christ today. The, the knowledge of the gospel, the truth of the gospel is in our hearts through the blood of Jesus Christ. We take it, and we walk around, and we give it to people, and we tell people about it. And the disciples, <laughs> their minds must have been blown. A few minutes earlier, you give something, well, we have nothing, and then they're actually doing it. The blessings and the power of Jesus come to us. We walk around. Sometimes it's physical food. That's what we do a lot of that with rice and other things. Other times, it's spiritual means and spiritual life giving to others. They were the ones giving it to them. And our task in the Great Commission in this community and in the places, including the places that we go to, 
are to walk around with those baskets of blessings from Jesus and give them to people. The need right now, I just heard one thing this morning, and so that's why I keep bringing it up about CEF and the, the good news clubs and the needs. I'm sure there are other ministries and there are other things that you have needs for. Uh, and my challenge to you is find out where you fit into one of those ministries and meet that need in, in a very, very special way. I want to read to you um, this, th- what I call the solution to helping people in need. This specifically relates to those um, who are poor. 1 John 3.17, let's go there. 1 John 3.17. This could not be clearer. 1 John 3.17. And it's one of the verses that we talk about with our church. And one of the reasons we talk about it in our church in Bangkok is because we had an opportunity to reach refugees at the point we, before we started helping refugees, we weren't helping any of them financially. Today, we're helping 10 families in Bangkok, uh, our church alone, and um, we're able to do that. We thought it would be impossible even to help three families, to be honest with you. We didn't think that we could do it. Today, we're helping 10. This is one of the verses that really grabbed our church's heart and, every, and the leadership of our church. Uh, Verse 17, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against them, how does the love of God abide in him? One of the characteristics of Christians is that we help people in need. I want you to, I want you to understand when, when the offering plate is passed here, this is, just not for you folks. We benefit from that. And we're able to go to places and we've helped thousands and thousands of people in poverty with rice and flour and basic necessities, oil and tea and things. We've helped thousands of refugees beyond just what we've done in our church, but in Pakistan and other partners because when that offering plates, you put money in it and some of it goes to us. And we're mindful every Sunday our churches, people are putting money in there. And it's, some of it is going to us to facilitate the things we're doing. And so I, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity to serve people. And I want you to take every opportunity that you have to help people that are in need in your community. And, and we're, we're definitely have received blessings to do that. Many times I sit with refugees and I say, you know, I want to tell you something. I really don't have any money. All the money that we get, we get from churches. We get from people who say, we want to help God's work and help you do God's work in this community. I don't have a a side job. I don't have a business on the side. So anything that I give you, they're so appreciative to me. I say, listen, there there are people in Seattle, in Ferndale, in the Tri-Cities, in Oakland, California, where our churches are, there are people in those places who send us money to be able to help you, to be able to feed your family today. And it's just an amazement that Christians care about them. There's a picture up there. Uh, In Thailand, we call it a tuk-tuk. It's a little three-wheeled thing. In Pakistan, they call it an auto rickshaw. And I put that up there. It's a Put, put that up there just to show you that because we have a big need right now 
in the ministry in Pakistan. We need two auto rickshaws. We need one for um, the New Life Salon, and we want to put a big thing on the side, New Life Salon, um, just to go get supplies. It's cheaper than a car. Get supplies and pick up girls that we need to pick up for to come to the training and stuff like that. We also need one. I just got a message from Pastor Emmanuel. There's a young Christian family that has been coming to the church for a year, a Muslim family, but now they've decided to accept Jesus Christ. They live in a, in a town over about 30 minutes, and because they've um, accepted Jesus Christ, their family has disowned them. Their boss has um, uh, fired them from their work. He's a Muslim, doesn't want a Christian working for them. And we, we're, we're looking and asking God for help for two auto rickshaws. One for the New Life Salon and one for this new family. They're each about $1,700 each. And I want to ask God, I want you to ask God with me to provide that. And maybe you'd like to help even a little bit towards one of those. Uh, that would be great. Let's do this. We'll finish now. But if you have any questions, please let me know about our ministry. If you ever want to take a trip to Spain or Pakistan or Thailand, We've got teams and groups going. We'd love to have you um, come visit us or take one of those trips. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to serve you in the way that we do. We thank you so much for this church. We thank you for their prayers and their help and their finances and their heart and their love for us over the years. Father, we thank you for the special relationship we have um, with the church here because of Catherine and the friendship that we've had with her, we thank you that she loves the people that we love, and we love her because of that. And we ask you to bless her in a very special way, uh, continue to use her in great ways. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.